Hello, and welcome to the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. This is episode 17, and I'm recording it on the evening of Sunday, October 17th, 2021. I'd like to wish my mother a very happy birthday. I love you, Mom. You're the absolute best. And today is the 11th day of our 54-day Rosary Novena, the Sorrowful Mysteries in Petition, and our intention is for the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary by the Pope and all the Catholic bishops of the world, in the manner requested by Our Lady of Fatima, which will end these chastisements, prevent greater chastisements, and result in the conversion of Russia to the Catholic faith, and a period of world peace. I unite this rosary with all the rosaries offered for the same intention. I'm going to take a look this evening at an article entitled 3,000 Days to Flatten the Curve by the wonderful Catholic lawyer Christopher Ferrara, who has been a tireless defender of Our Lady of Fatima and promoting the full message of Fatima. This is from the Fatima Crusader, issue number 127, which is available for free online at the Fatima Center, Fatima.org. I'll begin. As this article appears, almost 3,000 days have passed since the installation of Cardinal Jorge Mario Bergoglio as Pope Francis on March 13, 2013, and almost 3,000 days remain until the 100th anniversary of the instruction that Our Lady of Fatima imparted to Sister Lucia during the famous apparition of the Holy Trinity and Our Lady at Tai, Spain, on June 13, 1929. The moment has come when God asks the Holy Father to make, in union with all the bishops of the world, the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart, promising to save it by this means. So numerous are the souls that the justice of God condemns for sins committed against me, that I come to ask for reparation. Sacrifice yourself for this intention and pray. In August 1931, at Reano, Spain, our Lord appeared to Sister Lucia to issue an equally famous warning concerning what by then had become a failure to do what he had requested through his mother. Make it known to my ministers, given that they followed the example of the King of France in delaying the execution of my command, they will follow him into misfortune. It is never too late to have recourse to Jesus and Mary. History tells us that on June 17, 1789, 100 years to the day after our Lord conveyed to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, his request for the consecration of France to his sacred heart by the King of France in a solemn public ceremony, the Third Estate rose up and proclaimed itself a national assembly, stripping King Louis XVI of his legislative power and thus commencing the French, French Revolution. Less than four years later, on January 21, 1793, King Louis went to the guillotine, having joined his predecessors in their failure to carry out the consecration of France. Today, as the failure of a line of popes to carry out the consecration of Russia fast approaches its 100th anniversary, we now see in bold relief what Sister Lucia meant when she said that the third secret of Fatima, with its prediction of an unparalleled crisis in the Church, had to be revealed not later than 1960, because in that year it would be more clear, mais claro, for that was the year in which the Second Vatican Council, 1962-1965, had been announced. 
of which the arch-modernist Cardinal Sunins would boast, Vatican II is the French Revolution in the Church. Worse than that, as the Cardinal's fellow modernist, Yves Conger, observed, the Church has had, peacefully, its October Revolution. Just as Our Lady predicted the October Revolution in Russia, so did she predict a revolution in the Church, as all evidence indicates, respecting the integral content of the secret. Chaos and the Aftermath of the Council With the end of the Council came the beginning of a rising curve of disorder and confusion in the Church, or what the future Pope Benedict XVI described as a continuing process of decay that has gone on largely on the basis of appeals to the Council and thus has discredited the Council in the eyes of many. First of all, the Church has been afflicted by an ill-defined ecumenism that promotes everywhere the very error Pope Pius XI condemned in his encyclical forbidding Catholic participation in the nascent ecumenical movement of Protestant origin, the error by which the foundations of the Catholic faith are completely destroyed, but which it now seems Vatican policy. Namely, that false opinion which considers all religions to be more or less good and praiseworthy, since they all in different ways manifest and signify that sense which is inborn in us all, and by which we are led to God and to the obedient acknowledgement of his rule. Those who promote this error, Pius warned, are distorting the idea of true religion, and little by little turn aside to naturalism and atheism, as it is called, from which it clearly follows that one who supports those who hold these theories and attempt to realize them is altogether abandoning the divinely revealed religion. Accompanying ecumenism, into the ecclesial bloodstream after Vatican II, was another novelty unheard of in the Church before the Council, dialogue, which has relentlessly replaced the Church's divinely commissioned role of baptizing and teaching all nations with endless conversations with non-believers that lead to everywhere but conversion to the one true faith. One commentator has spoken of a veritable demissionization of the Church since the Council's close. Then, of course, there was the liturgical reform, which the future Pope Benedict XVI frankly described as a collapse of the liturgy. Concerning this disastrous reform, then-Cardinal Ratzinger made this devastating assessment. I am convinced that the ecclesial crisis in which we find ourselves today depends in great part upon the collapse of the liturgy, which at times is actually being conceived of etsi deus non deritur, as if there were no God, as though in the liturgy it did not matter any more whether God exists and whether he speaks to us and listens to us. But if in the liturgy the communion of faith no longer appears, nor the universal unity of the church and of her history, nor the mystery of the living Christ, where is it that the church still appears in her spiritual substance? It can be said that ecumenism, dialogue, and liturgical reform have produced a veritable pandemic in the church, an infection by viruses in the body of Christ, that has so debilitated her that, humanly speaking, she has been put out of commission in the battle against what St. Paul called the rulers of the world of this darkness, Ephesians 6 verse 12, which is not to say that the gates of hell have prevailed against her, but only that in this epoch the church is debilitated, with her ultimate restoration to good health being assured by the divine promises including the one made at Fatima, in the end, my Immaculate Heart will triumph. 
Such was the case during the Arian crisis of the 4th century, when it seemed the whole church had been conquered by heresy, only to be restored after a crisis that lasted almost as long as the current one. Francis's papacy abandons Catholic tradition. During the brief pontificate of Benedict XVI, the curve of this raging ecclesial infection was somewhat blunted as Benedict liberated the traditional mass from its absurd captivity, noting that it was never juridically abrogated and consequently, in principle, was always permitted, and lifted as well the excommunication of the four bishops of the Society of St. Pius X. Regarding the latter, Pope Benedict issued this salutary warning to the partisans of the Vatican II revolution, who were murmuring in opposition to the lifting of the excommunication. Anyone who wishes to be obedient to the council has to accept the faith professed over the centuries and cannot sever the roots from which the tree draws its life. But then came Benedict's sudden, never sufficiently explained resignation from the papacy and the ascension of the man from Argentina as Pope. The Benedictine respite was over, and what happened next was as if the tiller of the bark of Peter, which Benedict had turned slightly towards tradition in an attempted course correction, was yanked violently to the revolutionary left again. The church's viral infection spiked over the next eight years, as Francis introduced novelties unheard of, even during the tumultuous post-conciliar epoch at its worst. It suffices to note a few of these spikes, which have come one after another. The reduction of the natural law to an ideal or rule from which one can be excused in a concrete situation, which does not allow him or her to act differently and decide otherwise without further sin, Amoris Laetitia, 304 and 305. That is, one can continue to sin mortally so as to avoid some other sin. Not only is this moral nonsense, but it means the end of all morality and practice. The systematic abuse of the terms discernment and pastoral discernment to mean decisions about whether someone is able to follow the moral law in complex situations, which is hardly what St. Ignatius and tradition mean. Discernment of God's will concerning one's vocation or other important decisions not involving immorality. In keeping with Francis's version of situation ethics, a disastrous opening to Holy Communion for public adulterers in invalid, quote, second marriages, when living in continence, may not in fact be feasible, which outrage the Pope dared to have the Vatican Secretary of State published in the Acta Apollisticae Sedis, AAS, as authentic magisterium, which of course it cannot be. Declaring in a statement, the Vatican confirmed as Francis' opinion that one may use condoms as the lesser of two evils, in order to avoid the Zika virus, an error that opens the door to contraception. To quote then-Vatican spokesman Father Federico Lombardi, the contraceptive or condom, in particular cases of emergency or gravity, could be the object of discernment in a serious case of conscience. This is what the Pope said. That error would, for the first time in 2,000 years, have a Pope affirming that one can commit an intrinsic evil in certain circumstances changing the catechism to declare contrary to 2,000 years of church teaching based on divine revelation that the death penalty is inadmissible because it is an attack on the inviolability and dignity of the person. God begs to differ with Francis. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Genesis 9 verse 6. 
That is, as the Catechism of the Council of Trent teaches regarding the Fifth Commandment, capital punishment of murderers defends human dignity. Quote, the use of the civil sword, when wielded by the hand of justice, far from involving the crime of murder, is an act of paramount obedience to this commandment which prohibits murder. False and scandalous interpretations of sacred scripture, so numerous that they have been compiled in a dedicated website, including the claim that at the foot of the cross the Blessed Virgin surely wanted to say to the angel, liar, I was deceived. She too had no answers. Endless denunciations of observing Catholics as rigid, bitter, and even mentally unstable people, including young people attracted to the traditional Latin Mass. Insults so numerous, they have been compiled into a book, openly condoning, quote, gay and transgender relationships by favoring those involved with personal audiences and blessings. The relentless promotion of the fake science of climate change, world government, and the, quote, Great Reset, supposedly required due to COVID-19. A radical religious indifferentism that surpasses anything yet seen in the post-conciliar epoch, including the claim in the infamous Abu Dhabi statement that the pluralism and the diversity of religions, color, sex, race, and language are willed by God in his wisdom through which he created human beings declaring that homosexuals should have the right to form civil unions because homosexual people have a right to be in a family. They are children of God and have a right to a family. This statement can only be understood as an endorsement of gay adoption, which Cardinal Trujillo Lopez rightly called this crime which represents the destruction of the world. The Pope's approval of civil unions and families for homosexuals was the last straw for many. So bad has the situation become that even a commentator as sober and as cherry of criticizing the Pope as Jeffrey Myrus was compelled to write an article entitled, How Long, O Lord? Praying About Pope Francis, wherein we read the following astonishing but entirely understandable lament. Though we must pray for the Pope, is it legitimate to use the how long form of prayer? In other words, is it legitimate and even good to beg God to remove the scourge of a confused and incompetent papacy for the good of the church, always recognizing our own fallible judgment, which ought to go without saying in any prayer. The answer to this question is a resounding yes. When even a mainstream Catholic commentator, who can hardly be called a Fatimite or a radical traditionalist, publicly calls for prayers for the end of this confused and incompetent papacy, which another commentator of the same ilk has called disastrous, it should be obvious that this pontificate is unlike any other in the history of the church. It represents what has to be the apex of the crisis, the ecclesial fever that has been raging in the church for nearly 60 years. The prophecy of Fatima is ever more urgent. During his pilgrimage to Fatima in May 2010, Pope Benedict exposed the connection between the Fatima prophecies and the ecclesial crisis in a most dramatic way. When asked about whether the third secret related to the clerical sexual scandals, Benedict, answering a question he had personally selected beforehand, revealed that the secret involved much more than that. In the secret, he said, quote, are indicated future realities of the church, which are little by little developing and revealing themselves. As for the novelty, 
that we can discover today in this message. It is that attacks on the Pope and the Church do not come only from outside, but the sufferings of the Church come precisely from within the Church, from sins that exist in the Church. This has always been known, but today we see it in a really terrifying way that the greatest persecution of the church does not come from enemies outside, but arises from sin in the church. More than 10 years later, we are in the midst of those future realities of the church, and the consequences of sin in the church are indeed being seen in a really terrifying way. And hence, and eight years hence, or in about 3,000 days, the church in the world will have reached the 100th anniversary of the call for Russia's consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, failing which, the Virgin warned, many souls would be lost and various nations would be annihilated. And what but the annihilation of nations do we see in that part of the secret revealed on June 26, 2000? The avenging angel with the flaming sword emanating rays of destruction, the devastated city filled with the dead, from which a future pope escapes barely alive, only to be assassinated on a hill outside the city. This vision, a kind of heavenly movie without a soundtrack, that being found in the still-missing narration of the Virgin, which Vatican authorities have refused to disclose, is a warning to every living soul, a warning made necessary by the crisis in the Church that is culminating with this indeed disastrous pontificate. And while this writer is no prophet, the warning appears to be this. It would be prudent to fear given the fate of Louis XVI, that the Pope, this one or his successor, has 3,000 days to flatten the curve of the ecclesial pandemic that has been intensifying ever since an opening in the Church's immune system was provided during that council which the partisans of error, as Pope St. Pius X called the modernists, hailed as the Church's October Revolution. 3,000 days to restore the Church, that is, humanly speaking, but if the ministers of the church fail to administer the heavenly vaccine, heaven itself prescribed nearly a hundred years ago, the collegial consecration of Russia by the Pope and the bishops, then, as our Lord warned through Sister Lucia in 1931, they will follow the King of France into misfortune, and with them will follow the rest of the church in the world, whose rebellion will end in what Our Lady of Akita warned would be a punishment greater than the deluge, fire will fall from the sky and wipe out a greater part of humanity. The fire one sees in the vision of the third secret, the devastated city and the hapless Pope who, like Louis XVI, is murdered by his own subjects. For God is not mocked. What things a man shall sow, those also he shall reap. That divine admonition applies to all men, the Pope included. A sobering message, to be sure, from Mr. Ferrara from the summer of 2021 issue of the Fatima Crusader. I thought it was fitting to share it with you today because today is the feast of St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. And as the kings of France did not heed the request to consecrate France to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Thus far, the, the formal request came at Thai in Spain in June of 1929. As the article stated, 
a hundred years to the day, the King of France lost his authority and was later executed. It will be 100 years if we get that far without the consecration on June 13th, 2029, that the popes have failed to heed the request to have not only themselves, but all the bishops of the world consecrate Russia to the Blessed Mother's Immaculate Heart. We don't want to get that far into history. It's already been too long. We want that consecration to happen as soon as possible. We can do our part. Pray that rosary every day. Fast. Frequent the sacraments. Especially make the first five Saturdays devotion. Please tell your friends and family about Our Lady's request. Pray the rosary with them. Tell them about this podcast. It isn't my podcast. It's the Blessed Mother's podcast. I'm merely the host. This is the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. I simply want to get the word out to as many people as possible. So I love Jesus. I love the Blessed Mother. I love St. Joseph. And I want the reign of the Immaculate Heart to happen as soon as possible. Please share this message with everybody you know. Thank you so much for listening once again. Let us conclude with a prayer to honor Our Lady of Fatima. In nomine Patris et Fili et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora per nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostrae. Amen. Virgo potens, ora per nobis, Sancta Iosef, ter daimonem, ora per nobis. In nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. This has been episode 17 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. I am your host, Terence M. Stanton. Goodbye. And God love you.